This is from Justin McCain, a podcast where Mike Robertson and Bob LaRue watch one critically acclaimed film and one terrible film and talk about how they are the same. Welcome, everybody, to From Justin to Kane, the podcast where we take one critically acclaimed or maybe just one popular film. I'd say this week we did not pick a critically acclaimed film, but this this one's gone down in history as a classic. This isn't okay? a critically acclaimed film. I thought it was. No, it has like a 6.3 on IMDb. Oh, OK. Well, then. Yeah. But I think <laughs> so, a lot of, OK, well, I think a lot of people think it's great, though. It, totally. I, it, it is a classic. So the classic film, the, the great film is uh, Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. And our bad film is uh, Steven Seagal's Attack Force. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. One of the most generically titled films you could probably imagine. And maybe most generically plotted films, too. Yeah, there was. It's like so generic that it's confusing and repetitive. Yeah, and like they just keep having scenes in that bar the whole time, and they're mm-hmm. just talking about how fucked they are, and they're like, "We're so fucked." And yeah, Steven Seagal's just sitting. He's like, "Yeah, we are." Yeah, and people I love it. just people in in like technological looking rooms talking about I don't know the logistics of, of doing <laughs> a, a, an attack. I guess yeah. kind of I could never really follow what they were talking about and why they were talking about stuff. Anyway. And who the bad guy was was not clear to me, even no. until the end. Yeah. But that's neither here nor there. We're going to find everything that makes them the same, you know, what what yeah. cinematic DNA they they uh, share. And they share a lot, don't they, Mike? I would, just say, I would say they do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Got to mm. admit, like, when I was watching Attack Force, I kind of tuned out the last half. Well, if I'm being honest with you, so I turned it on. <laughs> Okay, it was about, so I went drinking the night before, okay, okay. with our mutual friend. We had friend. a bit of a story. Okay, and then I, I went to bed, it was about 1, I woke up at 5.30, still drunk, could not go back to bed, so I woke up, went into my living room, all the lights off, and I turned on attack force. Oh, God. So I watched this hungover and drunk, and if I'm not, I just want to be transparent with everyone, the last 45 minutes I was just scrolling Instagram while it played in the background. Okay. Uh, I just I just want to be up front. This one really felt like e- uh, not eating your vegetables per se, but it felt like homework. Yeah. So, uh, but I sat through it and I wrote down all my similarities within the first 15 minutes and then I just stopped. So, well, like what yeah. is, so we use the food metaphor quite often where there's like eating your vegetables and then having a nice sweet snack. Yeah. Yeah. So like, what is something that you eat that is like both not good for you? And then also not satisfying, but it's, yeah. Well, that's a good one. Because also like when we watch, you know, when you watch a bad movie, sometimes it's really fun. Totally, Um, totally. It's like cotton candy. fun at all. I'd say like um, a really bad frozen pizza. Like I had a Hawaiian frozen pizza a few weeks ago. And let me tell you, that was the single worst decision I made of, uh, I guess 2020. Yeah, I ate it in 2020, so it was more than a few weeks ago. Okay, but it was, okay. it was one of the worst decisions I made of that year. It tasted bad, and it was on sale. Would you say it was one of the worst things to happen last year? 
<laughs> Honestly, no. But <laughs> it felt like it. Subjectively, it was terrible. Okay. That just illustrates how cushy my situation is, you know? My downfall was a frozen Hawaiian pizza I bought on sale from No Frills. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I did not feel well after. And that's what this film felt like. I, I didn't feel good mm-hmm. after watching Attack Force. And I have to say, this this podcast isn't you know predicated on just shitting on bad movies. But no. okay, but okay. let me digress for a moment. It was a bummer. I like bad Steven Seagal when he was still in shape, but then he got like fat and all the scenes when he's fighting, they they just use weird cuts to like hide the fact that he isn't very mobile anymore yeah and he's his breathing was very labored and uh it was just kind of sad to be like oh we're watching this guy who used to be you know like jean-claude van damme like in the same category like great shape a black belt in some sort of martial art and aikido oh all right all right but you know skillful skillful Mm -hmm. and then just to see him be like fat and old and be like I'm still making the same movie. And he's just breathing the whole time. Yeah. You know, and he's whispering and they're just hiding him in darkness like Marlon Brando from uh, Apocalypse Now. Like, they just don't want to show how fat he got. And it's a bummer because then he he kills people so quickly and it's such a letdown. Yeah. Because you're like, obviously that person's in way better shape and frankly, probably a better fighter. But it's a Steven Seagal film, so he just has to kick the shit out of this person. And he's just doing really weak, like, karate chops and, like, slaps. These people are dying. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It was um, it's definitely ex- an experience to watch this. Yeah. And, and the Foley, may I say, deserves its own conversation. Specifically, the Steven Seagal Foley. I feel like they overcompensated for his lack of performance mm-hmm. with, like, really intense Foley. The slap sounds and stuff were on another level. Yeah. It was pretty wild. Mm-hmm. I, I did research on this movie for this this episode yeah so maybe i can get started by like talking about talking about attack force yeah sure let's start with attack force that sounds good attack force stars steven seagal as mentioned Mm -hmm. uh it came out in 2006 and it is a science fiction question mark slash thriller action (laughs) film and the science fiction thing will come up shortly because there's some wild facts about this film believe it or not Really? I would have thought that this was one of the ones that were, was this kind of like, there's nothing on this movie, it's bad. and it's Just your run-of-the-mill garbage, but. So they filmed this in uh, Romania mm-hmm. in 2006, and it was released in 2006. Okay. Uh, and when it was, uh, I first announced the film was called Harvester, and the plot kind of detailed one where the villains were aliens, and okay. the, um, Kind of the female character who kind of comes in at the end as the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, where did this character come from? I don't, I'm not following. What, who is this character? Anyway, she was supposed to be the alien queen. Yeah. Uh, and they shot it two ways. One that kind of explained the villains as like mobsters and one that made them out to be aliens. So it used to, it was supposed to be a sci-fi movie. Wait, so did they just film twice as much as they needed to? To like I think they filmed like. The- yeah, I think they did film two different movies, one that was kind of alien-themed and one... Like, I mean, obviously, the action scenes, they only shot once. But right. I think but, they but did it, one it, take. It felt, like, it felt like two movies smushed together and neither uh-huh. one was completed. Yeah. 
like a Roger Corman style, like, hey, we have all these leftover scenes from this one movie. Um, can we can we use those? You know what I mean? Like kind of mm-hmm. shit like that that they used to pull in the 60s. Yeah. Like with all the old Boris Karloff stuff. I'm not exactly sure if there's two versions of the movie floating around. I don't think that it really matters mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. like it wasn't good enough as the bad version. <laughs> it wasn't even like interesting as a bad movie. No, it and- would have been terrible if they had like achieved what they were going for i guess yeah though yeah some reviews of the film uh, call it unwatchable egregiously shoddy Mm -hmm. uh even the most ardent steven seagal fan would be kind of hard-pressed to sit through this monstrosity of a production in just one sitting (laughs) some reviewers commented on the fact that steven seagal does the bare minimum the lowest amount that he can get away with and still seem like the star not much fighting He's not always like speaking or appearing in even his own scenes. And he doesn't do any of his like kind of iconic speeches that he, I guess, supposedly does at the end of movies. Yeah, he does some legendary, like in the 90s, like under siege and stuff. He did some legendary shit. And yeah. none of that was present. Like, I'm a Steven Seagal fan. I'm just going to say oh, okay. it. Like, I, I grew up on his movies. Like, the 90s films are awesome. I only, I think I've only seen Under Siege. Yeah, well, that's on the probably his one of his best movies. Yeah, Under I think Siege it's considered his best, best movies. It was also, I think, his career high point. It, it was. That was like his sweet spot. But, you know, he had a couple movies before that that were pretty rock solid. And, and he was just also just compelling to watch in terms of kicking the shit out of people because mm-hmm. they, would, they would do it, you know, in an interesting way. But none yeah. of that was present in this film, which is a huge bummer. Yeah, so uh, a couple of reviewers um, commented also on the... Obvious voice double who was overdubbing most yeah. of the dialogue from Steven Seagal. So, so I was of, wondering, that is a different person, right? Yeah. Okay. I was still drunk when I watched it and I was like, am I hearing things or what's going on? Is yeah, this his, still? The character's voice like uh, switches to a different person. It seems like almost on a scene by scene basis. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's clearly Steven Seagal's voice. Sometimes it's clearly Steven Seagal's voice doing ADR. And then sometimes it's um, another person doing a completely different voice. And then sometimes it's like uh, a guy who does a pretty good job of nailing Steven Seagal's like flat delivery. Yeah. I was wondering if, if that person was trying to do an impression or they were just like, I'll just sound cool. Like, fuck it. You know, I'll just do this voice or whatever. Sometimes the voice was, was talking like this and talking under your breath. And you're like, I'm a really serious action hero. Like, yeah, I'm an alpha male. And then sometimes Steven Seagal's voice, Sometimes, sometimes his voice sounded like this. It was like, what's yeah. going on? Like, because like the next scene goes back to Steven Seagal kind of talking like this. So I don't know. Maybe he does actually. Maybe that was actually Steven Seagal, and he has like a really nasally voice. I don't know. I wonder. I can detail a little bit of the plot, but mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. Basically, it's like Steven Seagal plays a character whose name is Marshall Lawson. Think about that. And they just call him Marshall all the time. <laughs> yeah, they call him Marshall all the time, but his name is Marshall Lawson, like a pun. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, he's kind of part of a attack force, a titular attack force, if you will. Yeah. The He's the commander of an elite U.S. military unit, is what the plot description says. And kind of, they're like in Paris, I guess, and they get attacked. They discover there's a drug called CTX, which is like a military drug that... They, the bad guys want to leak into the water supply, I guess, and mm-hmm. it makes people uh, super strong. There's a bit of a um, surprise twist ending. Oh, his girlfriend 
is involved in the development of CTX. There's a bad guy who's like unclear who this guy is. And then he kind of comes in and out. I don't know what his relationship is to some people. And then the movie kind of ends after he kills, Steven Seagal kills everybody after just sitting in a chair for most of the film. <laughs> and the ending is so abrupt. <laughs> the ending is like one of the most abrupt endings I've ever seen. I was like, I've what, never credits. You know, like a CSI like credits, yeah. was like legendary for like, Horatio, that ginger guy, would say, this is CSI Miami. He would say his last line, and then it would just cut to the credits super quickly. Mm-hmm. This was even more blunt and fast. Like, it it caught me off guard. The way that it ended, and this is a big spoiler alert for anybody trying to watch the 2006 direct-to-video Steven Seagal movie, Attack Force. <laughs> uh, after he kills all of the bad guys uh, with no, like, mercy... He just murders them in cold blood with no expression on his face. No he mercy gets, and very little mobility. May yeah, very, I, may I also add. very little mobility. Yeah. He gets into like an SUV and then the SUV slowly drives off and you're like, oh, cool. We're going to see another scene after this. And then it just rolls credits and he's like, what? <laughs> this is over? <laughs> well, it felt incomplete because there was like inklings of like, yeah, is his girlfriend betraying him? Like, who do they all work for? Obviously, this is like an inside job on some level. And none of that is explained or explored. And then it just, it's over. His girlfriend, be- uh, yeah, his girlfriend betrays him. She's been working on the CTX stuff. She gets killed. Uh, mm, Yeah, she does, doesn't she? Which is, Sorry. Mm, which was his yeah. girlfriend I couldn't even remember. The blonde lady. Who, yeah, the blonde who, lady. That's who I thought. Yeah, that's his girlfriend. Yeah, she gets killed. And then he mourns her death by closing her eyes with his hand, as people do in movies. I And then he just moves on. He just moves on as if it never happened. I texted all the way through this scene because at this oh, point, right. I think I had a couple people who were awake because it's probably seven in the morning now and that scene happened and mm-hmm. uh, I was just chatting with people on the phone. So, I, oh, so I think I just missed this scene. So you stayed up until seven in the morning? No, 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 no. I went to bed at one and I woke up at 530. Oh, okay. Was, so you did get a little I, sleep. Yeah, I, I got it like four hours or whatever. But you know when you're like drunk and then you can't fall back to sleep? After you wake Don't up and you're, and you're still drunk and you're like, oh, shit, I'm just going to be drunk all day. That's what happened. Yeah. Um, um, anyways, continue. Sorry, I keep interrupting. Yeah, so his he, he his girlfriend dies. He closes her eyes with his hand. And then just the next scene, <laughs> you would never have known that his girlfriend just died. He yeah. does not react. He doesn't even react when she dies. It's kind of, yeah, sad. May I take a, did you do any research on why the walls are so thin? I did notice that whenever a character got slammed into the wall, they would shake, even if it was clearly supposed to be brick. They, or stone, like ancient stone. Mm-hmm. They would, well, two things. They would shake or they would fly through, because his girlfriend gets hit by that one, like, zombie alien lady. Yeah. And she flies through three sheets of drywall. Yeah. Like, three rooms, hits the ground, and gets right back up. Well, she was able to blast that person through that well, those walls, though, because she was on that drug. But drywall has, there are studs and another thing of drywall and mm-hmm. insulation, but it was literally just drywall. I don't know. It was a cheap hotel. Uh, okay. Okay. I'll, I buy it. I buy it. I'm glad you're defending them. That's kind of nice. I mean, I'm not defending. I'm just like, I don't know. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't really want to talk about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> there is something to be said about a, a movie that's like, Bad in a very specific way that it's not fun. It's not interesting. It's just like bad in like a boring, forgettable way. That's like, I don't know. You just kind of feel defeated by it in a way, you know? It's true. Well, you know, 
again, not to just keep talking about how I went out drinking, but sometimes the day after you go drinking, you're just kind of depressed that you went out drinking the night before. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, so I was like a little, a little blue, but then this film just made me feel terrible. You know what I mean? It augmented the, how awful I felt. Well, then it did something. It did made you feel something. That's true. Why? Did you not feel anything? No, this was the most, probably one of the most clinical movie viewing experiences I ever, ever had. (laughs) I just like sociopath watching. I just watched it, just tried to pick up on any sort of detail that was like reminded me of the other movie we watched. And then as soon as it was over, I'm just like, okay, it's over. Good. (laughs) Like it wasn't even homework. It was just kind of like, let's get this over with. Yeah, it's purely an intellectual exercise. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I have no idea if anybody who listens to this podcast follows along or watches any of these movies. I've heard from some people that like, oh, I watched this movie because of what you guys talked about. And sometimes it's a bad movie, sometimes it's a good movie. Yeah. I don't know that anybody should watch Attack Force. I would never recommend it. Like, there's other Steven Seagal films worthy of viewership. And mm-hmm. this is not one of them. And it's not even funny. Like it's, no, not, it's even not even funny, funny bad. It's just it's just really disheartening. Yeah, because even like the bad ADR, which is like the big selling point of the movie, if I can say, like the hype, yeah. the hype behind this movie revolves entirely around just how bad the ADR is. Sure, and it's bad, but it's not like oh yeah, so bad that you'd watch it with a group of friends and like laugh at it. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like, man, what is going on? Like, what is life? Kind of, it kind of just makes you feel like a sense of existential dread because this is how I'm choosing to spend my time. Well, what 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 I was thinking about is um, how many people it employed and how it was financed, and what the mood would have been like on the set. Like literally, I'm sure it was 100% everyone phoning it in as much as humanly possible. Yeah, the guy who played the bad guy seemed like he was trying on some level, maybe. But while we're on the topic. Of just like, who financed this? Why is this? Why does this movie exist? Yeah. Steven Seagal must be, his movies must do okay enough to warrant existing in the quantity that they exist. Not dissimilar to Chuck Norris though. Like sometimes you just become your own franchise, right? Yeah. Because he's made, I I mean, I don't even know how many movies he's been in, but uh, in 2016 alone, he made six movies in one year straight to video. What? He hasn't made a theatrical film since 2001, I think. There might have been like the odd case where it was in the theaters. Because I know he was in Machete. But that was like a a nod to him. Like, you know, like a, oh, sweet cameo situation. Uh, I'm just going to read a couple of titles because like, it's like, yeah, this movie had a generic title, but it's not the the stupidest title for a, a movie. Okay. Uh, Half Past Dead, Out for a Kill. Um, let's see. Today You Die is the name of a movie. Mm-hmm. I can imagine that shouted. Dragon Squad, Mercenary for Justice, Attack Force, Flight of Fury, Urban Justice, Pistol Whipped, Kill Switch, um, <laughs> Driven to Kill, A Dangerous Man, Sheep Impact. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Maximum Conviction, very generic. Force of Execution, mm, extremely generic. Born to Raise Hell, that's kind of fun. Uh, got Shot Straight, okay. Um, <laughs> let's see. Sniper that's grammatically spe- not correct. No. In 2016 alone, he made Code of Honor, Sniper, colon, Special Ops. Not like like a sniper of colons, but like Sniper, 
colon special ops is how it's yeah. right. Like what that's what kind of sniper he is. Yeah, he's like a special ops sniper. And that yeah. one is actually probably the one we should have watched. Yeah. Because um like when we were looking for a bad Steven Seagal movie, we looked up like worst Steven Seagal movies. And one of the lists we found was the best of the worst of fat Steven Seagal. Right. So basically just like there's a era of Steven Seagal movies where he's just kind of like, he's a bit overweight. He's not really like karate chopping. He's almost like a minor character in his own movie. Yeah. He, he arguably has less screen time than anyone else. Yeah. He, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So other movies in 2016, the Asian connection, end of a gun contract to kill the perfect weapon. Wow. So, I mean, and that's just like a fraction of the films he's he's made since 2001 in the last 20 years. So, he's been making movies pretty much consistently every single year for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, he's been acting as an actor maybe more than anybody else. Well, you know, and there's nothing, there's, you know, it's worth mentioning how impressive his hustle is. But also, he's really figured out the formula, I guess, of just like characters with generic names in generically titled films, kind of like wielding guns. They're always on a, like a black ops or special ops or XCIA kind of situation. Yeah. Um, and like justice is, justice is administered, but in the most kind of, I don't know, sterile kind of way of just getting in there, shooting things, not even like emoting or feeling any sort of remorse. Just kind Wait, of. You know what's cool about Attack Force is there's no like moral lesson. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh which I find fascinating. That's like 101 script writing is like, there needs to be like some sort of lesson learned, but literally nothing changes in that film except that a bunch of people die. Yeah. Kind of, kind of, kind of interesting. Well, I thought that I had when I was watching the movie uh-huh. was that, you know, movies are just showing stuff happening, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a quote. You can, that's a quote. Movies are just showing stuff happen. Because it's, I mean, that was what I was thinking when I was watching the movie. I was like, I don't really follow what's going on, even though I'm sure this is a bare bones, simple plot and the characters don't care. And there's like, probably the people making it didn't care. The person editing it surely didn't care. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And so like the movie just shows stuff happening and then leaves and that's a movie. And uh, sometimes we watch a movie and it shows stuff happening and then it's like, Oh, we really connected to that. This was literally just like, yeah, we have to show you some stuff and then it's over. Yeah. We've talked quite a bit about Attack Force. I do have some, I want to share a couple of things about Steven Seagal himself because I think he's more more interesting than the movie. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, he's a seventh Dan black belt in Aikido and he began his adult life as a martial arts instructor in Japan. And he was the first foreigner to operate an Aikido dojo in Japan. So that's kind of cool. That is cool. I mean, he he achieved a lot. Yeah, well, exactly. He's an impressive man. He's had an interesting life probably up until 2001 when he started doing direct-to-video movies. And then I'm sure he just kind of was like sitting in his big old mansion and just probably drinking a lot. Yeah, Yeah. And, and eating. And eating a lot, yeah. So he's a musician. What does he play? He plays guitar. Nice. He's, he has a discography comprising two albums, um, and he has scored some of his own movies. And cool, he, uh, Stevie Wonder of all people has performed with Steven Seagal. Stevie Wonder like played on his debut album. 
So can I just real quick drop you a fun fact yes. about uh, Saturday Night Fever and how it relates to this film? Oh, sure. Yeah, go for it. So Saturday Night Fever, when they were filming, the Bee Gees were not involved in the project. No, they weren't. So they were dancing to a lot of Stevie Wonder songs. Oh, really? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Oh, that is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So small world. Stevie Wonder gets around. I did watch that Bee Gees documentary that came out like a couple of months ago. I heard it was really good. It was pretty good. Yeah. I wouldn't say it was really good. It was oh, pretty, okay. It was a pretty surface level like, hey, remember this band? Mm-hmm. Here's an HBO documentary about them. Right. Right. So, uh, Steven Seagal is a bit of a huckster. He has therapeutic oil products and energy drinks that he's tried to sell. <laughs> uh, yeah. He also is, he has the most interesting politics because he's an environmentalist sometimes he makes movies that are specifically he'll either make a documentary about environmentalism or he'll have like an action film that's like environmentalism centered Mm -hmm. Uh, he's an animal rights guy and he supports the dalai lama he's so he's a buddhist but he's also known for like supporting vladimir putin and he once called uh putin the greatest living world leader Oh, yeah, his energy drink was called Steven Seagal's Lightning Bolt, but it was discontinued. Kind of came out actually right around the time of Attack Force. And he also had an aftershave called Scent of Action. Plus, he also sells knives. But like he sells knives? knives. I think they're like action knives. Like okay, weapons. cool. I think he sells weapons. <laughs> Let me be clear. They're called weapons, okay? He's uh, been criticized by former stunt performers who were with him. They accuse him of intentionally hitting stuntmen during scenes. Oh, I believe it. Famously, Steven Seagal, like he acted as a stunt choreographer in a bunch of films in the 80s, which is, I think, how he kind of broke into the biz. Because mm. he moved to L.A. and then got it, became a stunt choreographer. And uh, like, yeah, action movies with martial arts really took off in the 80s. Mm-hmm. He worked on Never Say Never Again, one of the ill-fated James Bond movies. I think the one that Sean Connery returned to the role for Warner Brothers, so both like a different studio and like a different older Bond kind of, like the one kind of weird James Bond movie that really... Really ruined the franchise for a while, for like 20 years. So Steven Seagal worked as a martial arts instructor on that, and he broke Sean Connery's wrist during production, so... Whoa. His reputation for hurting people, like while making the movie... Precedes him, yeah. Mm -hmm. He, He has been nominated for nine Golden Raspberries... Oh, wow. That's and he won impressive. one for Worst Director for On Deadly Ground, which is actually one of his better movies, I understand. So mm-hmm. he's been accused of uh, sexual harassment or assault multiple, multiple, multiple times. Wow. wow. Not making light of this, but more just like go on May his Wikipedia I also bring page. another similarity. Oh, John Travolta on. as well. Yeah. Oh, really? But specifically with uh, masseuses. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's had two allegations against him, specifically with different masseuses. Well, uh, Steven Seagal has had multiple women uh, spanning almost three decades. Wow. Um, And uh, there's just so many entries, I guess, on his Wikipedia page about it. So if you're interested in that particular part of his life, then I guess go to town on that. Mm. So anyway, that's that's Attack Force. Uh, Probably more information about Steven Seagal and Attack Force than anybody needed to know. I... Loved how informative that was. That was really a treat. Thanks, Mike. Oh, no problem. Um, okay, so yeah, Saturday Night Fever. 
Very cool movie. Maybe our like critically the worst film that we've chosen. Probably to be yeah. our best film. Because Jellicles can and Jellicles do. But uh, anyways, it's pretty good. So it's released in 1977. Here's something pretty nutty. John Travolta was uh, nominated for Best Actor. He was yeah. pretty good in it. He he was great, and uh, so he had a really intense training regimen. He would run two miles every day, every morning, and then he would dance for three hours, seven wow. days a week, for months to uh, train. And on that note, so he put all this work into training for the film, and then he uh, saw in a bunch of the dailies that um, some of the larger dance numbers were all shown in close-up, and so he lost it on the director and the DP and the studio and said, I'll quit if you don't like show my whole body in the dance scenes. So they had to like reshoot a bunch of stuff and promise to him that like the audience would see him actually do dancing, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty interesting. And it's impressive. He does like almost every move. Yeah. The dancing in this movie is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's the best part. Um, so this film is directed by John Badham, who. Uh, has made some classic uh, films. He directed War Games, Short Circuit, uh, Nick of Time with Johnny Depp, Bird on a Wire with uh, Mel Gibson, and Blue Thunder. Okay, okay. So just like classic like 80s kind of garbage blockbuster movies. But he famously um, uh, goes in, going against the grain of his name, makes a great ham. He does. Yeah, yeah. He actually, he in his twilight years, he was the host of a uh, cooking show. <laughs> um, and they exclusively worked with ham and nothing else. And he was, he was just trying to write the wrong that was his his familial name. Um, anywho, uh, yeah. So, oh, the first bridge scene, the infamous bridge scene. I mean, not the infamous one. The last one, I guess, would be infamous. The first bridge scene in which all the boys and the one lady are in the car, and then they all pretend to fall off. The actress in that scene was not aware that there was that platform underneath, and she actually thought they died. So the like line afterwards where she calls them like she says like fuck you or like you idiots or whatever, like that was all improvised because she was actually freaking out and they shot it with a bunch of cameras. Oh wow. Um and that was John Badham's idea. He was like, let's freak her out because we'll get a great performance. And uh I guess you could say they did. Yeah, that worked. Yeah, yeah. Um, filming was briefly interrupted. So they shot this in New York also. Also, John Badham had never been to New York before, and John Travolta took him on a personal tour of Brooklyn and Manhattan to show him, like, what the hell was up with New York. Mm, cool. Um, the film was filmed completely in New York, and uh, it was briefly stalled. Well, apparently there were a few run-ins with the mafia. So Classic. like, So the ma- mafia extorted protection. They were like hey, we're going to fuck you up unless you pay us to protect your film. And then mm-hmm. somehow, I don't know how, but that was dealt with. And um, there were a few altercations like that with the mob, but uh, it never ended up like truly stopping the film from being made or even being uh, like postponed for that long. But that's just yeah. kind of like a funny thing. It's like, oh, we're filming in New York. I guess we got to deal with the mob, the 1970s mob. Also, 1970s New York was a pretty ratty place. You know, it was pretty yeah, exactly. scary. Um, yeah, uh, like I said before, the Bee Gees weren't involved yet in the film, so they were dancing to random tunes like songs by Stevie Wonder and uh, Boz Skaggs. Mm-hmm. I don't know who Boz Skaggs is, but I'm sure it's a similar vibe, sort of 70s disco, catchy stuff. This is the first studio film in wide release to say 
the word or the phrase blowjob. Oh, interesting. Interestingly, though, the film before this starring John Travolta, 1976's Carrie. Right. He gets a blowjob. Hmm. Isn't, isn't that interesting? Um, so and he kinda, also was in a movie called Blow Up, wasn't he? He was, yeah. He was also in a film called Blow Up. The guy, and he was also a crazy cocaine fiend. He loved Blow. Anything to do with Blow, he was a fan. <laughs> um, I don't know for a fact he was into cocaine, but I also feel like he was. Interestingly, also, I, I wanted to go on like a Scientology tangent because i thought this film would be pre-scientology but it was actually post-scientology by three years because he joined in 1975 after being handed uh, a book um dianetics while he was on the set of the devil's reign that they're filming in mexico and so on that film somebody introduced him to yeah somebody introduced him to the church of scientology and then he became a member almost immediately and uh since then he's been one of the sort of you know, the faces of the religion, him and Tom Cruise. Um, he, I mean, we can, I'll chat more about the film, but just some more John Travolta tidbits. Yeah, he did all the dancing. He's a Scientologist and he's a uh, pilot. He can fly jets. Yeah, that's right. He famously is like a jet pilot. Yeah. Yeah. And so supposedly during the earthquakes in 2010 in Haiti, he flew a bunch of Scientology volunteers and a bunch of supplies and doctors with his personal jet to Haiti. And and dropped them off. And did the Scientology people fly there to convert people or just to help? I think just to help. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, they weren't that thorough in the article, but it sounds like they were just there to help. You know how like different religious groups will be like, we also do humanitarian work and we're Mm -hmm. not going to like try to convert you, but we're going to try to convert you in subtle ways. I'm sure it's like that. Apparently, this is one of Gene Siskel's absolute favorite films. That seems like a Siskel movie. Mm-hmm. He apparently this is like in the top, 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 top for him. He fucking loves it. And he's seen it like a million times. I thought it was good. I enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, I thought it was fine. I didn't. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's I just wasn't crazy about it. It was pretty boilerplate kind of story for the most part. Yeah, I think it's more of a character study than it is a dance movie or a like dance competition movie. Actually, the dance competition has very little to do with what the film's about, which is yeah. interesting because something like Dirty Dancing, the competition is is, is much more prevalent in the plot. But in this uh-huh. one, it definitely takes a back seat. This film is based on a New York magazine article titled Tribal Rights of the New Saturday Night. Norman Wexler wrote the screenplay based on the article by Nick Cohn, and it was revealed like 40 years later that Nick Cohn made everything up in the article and none of it was true. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, but Norman, at the time the article came <laughs> out, it was supposed to be, you know, nonfiction, and it was depicting like, you know, rough and tumble Brooklynites uh, who were obsessed with disco and they were like, you know, dominating sort of their area and they would become famous as dancers and blah, blah, blah. And they had like a really cool status, but it turns out none of that was true. That's right. Yeah. This is one of the earliest films to use the Steadicam. Um, and Karen Lynn Gorney. Yeah. Gorney. That's Karen right, Lynn yeah. Gorney, the love interest, uh, apparently had a really hard time. She, I think had a probably just from what I've read, had a terrible time working on this film, but, uh, so supposedly, not dissimilar to 
Gary Busey had suffered a major accident on a motorcycle many years before this film. So she had some sort of like physical limitations in terms of the choreo and had a very hard time keeping up with John Travolta, who's also way younger than her. She was quite a bit older than him. Um, The choreo is very hard for her to keep up and she had injuries to deal with. But apparently the crew gave her a really hard time and said that she sucked and would like say it to her face and like just give her a hard time and be like, you 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 fucking suck, you know. And then and then they go back to making a movie that seems like somewhat critical of toxic masculinity. And they completely like missed the, the Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's probably true. Most projects you look at the crew and they're like, I don't care what this movie's about. Yeah, exactly. You know? Uh, another fun fact. So by this point, John Travolta was about as famous as it gets. He had already been in some major blockbusters like uh Greece. And so a lot of the exterior scenes, because they're shooting on location, they had to shoot at the crack of dawn before people would realize that uh, they were shooting. So that because once like crowds showed up to see John Travolta, they couldn't shoot. Oh, OK. Wow. Um, and so they even had to implement like they do now, like a false name of the film. They had to uh, uh, use like fake call sheets with the wrong address and stuff so that people would go to the wrong place. Mm. which is interesting. So they, they just had to use different tactics to try to keep the public away from where they were shooting because he was so, so famous. I wasn't sure when I was watching it if he was famous already or if he was, this was the thing that made him. Yeah, no, this, like, Grease, Grease and Carrie and a few other films had come out that made him really, really famous. And it's soon after this film, he fell into his 80s slump before yeah. he got his comeback in 1994 with Pulp Fiction, in which... He was nominated for another uh, Oscar. Yeah, and but when you say slump, like people will say, "Oh yeah, John Travolta had a slump," but also like, "Look who's talking!" and "Look who's talking!" too were big hits. Uh, yeah, that's true. And he was in those movies. Yeah, I think you could call it a slump. And don't get me started on "Look Who's Talking Now." <laughs> Why do you love that movie? No. I just think, don't get me started. <laughs> don't get me started. Oh, that's funny. I just don't want to talk about it. Don't get me started. <laughs> Literally, don't get me started. Don't ask me another question about look who's talking, okay? Especially look who's talking too. Do the dogs talk? Yeah. And look who's talking now? Yeah, the dogs talk. Because look <laughs> who's talking look at, now. Look, the dog. Look who's talking. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, okay. That's enough of that bit. That's enough. Um, <laughs> look uh, who's podding now. We should make a side pod where we talk about those films. That's a threat. Uh, we made we made good on our uh, when did they poop pod. That's true. That's Much to true. the chagrin of listeners. I'm sure that was our least listened to episode. Mm, probably, yeah. But let's, yeah, we're going to make good on our let, Look Who's Potting Now podcast. Okay. I, I promise you this. That sounds good. That sounds we're gonna, good. We're going to have to watch the trilogy. <clears throat> oh, fuck. The I holy trilogy. <laughs> I think um, you'll enjoy it. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I I look forward to it. I've seen Look Who's Talking, yeah. one and two. I I didn't realize there's a third one. Yeah, it's where the dogs talk. Right, Kirstie Alley. Yes, yes, yes. Post uh, or actually in lieu with uh, Cheers. Yeah, right. That's right. That's yeah. interesting. Anytime I can talk about Cheers, get me started on Cheers. We should also <laughs> do a mini soda on Cheers. Just if we're trying to like lay it down for posterity and also to keep us accountable. Um. Anywho, uh, I love Kirstie Alley. She's great. Yeah, you definitely love her current politics. 
Famously, oh. you, you love that. Oh, God. Oh, God. What? I don't know anything about current. I, I stopped paying attention to her after 1991 or whenever the show ended. So, well, I don't know. Is she scary? Yeah. yeah. I mean, she just she's just one of those people that people loved when they were at the height of their powers and then has just kind of become a conservative crank in like the intervening years. So, oh, really? Not unlike Steven Seagal and like Lord knows how many other people that you probably like. Yeah. Or liked. Also, do you remember the film Michael? I do, yes. I, oh man, I saw that probably when I was like 10. And, uh, wow, we should do that movie. I just want to see it. The poster is making me nostalgic. Okay, sorry. Now I'm just on the internet instead of doing this podcast. Is that where he plays an angel? It is, yeah. He plays an angel. Yeah, I saw that on on an airplane. My grandma had it on VHS. So it's really coming back to me. Remember when they would have airplane and they're like, hey guys, we're putting on a movie now. And then they would have screens on the on the ceiling. Yeah, and it was just one movie. Like you couldn't pick. You couldn't pick. And yeah, yeah. They would just pop a tape in at the front of the, the thing. But the perk <laughs> was that they would show movies that hadn't come out on VHS yet. So they somehow had access to these. Oh man, you know what? Just on a side note, I thought Jean-Claude Van Damme was in Sniper Special Ops, but he's not. It's another guy whose last name is Van Damme. Oh, really? Yeah, I just I thought that would have been really cool, but I was I was mistaken. Yeah, we should have watched we should have watched Sniper Special Ops because he looks like like when people say, "Wow, you look like crap." Like <laughs> Steven's going to look like crap in that movie. He really did. He he really, yeah, yeah. He looks like uh, yeah, yeah, poor guy. Anywho, <laughs> poor guy. No, he's probably a millionaire. He's sexually assaulted <sighs> multiple people. He doesn't. Oh deserve, yeah, I'm he sorry. He doesn't deserve I'm our sorry. pity. I forgot. Yeah. Just out in one ear, out the other. All your trivia. I couldn't name a single fact about him. Now, wow. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Wow. What's the martial art that he was? Uh, oh fuck me. I don't know. But belt. he was the first, uh, like, uh, Westerner to have his own place. Wow, you were paying attention. So I was. So I was. <laughs> I have the broad strokes. Like, if you need specific words, I can't provide that. Okay, well, what else do you, what else do you got about Saturday Night Fever? That's pretty much it, actually. Um, nothing else that interesting. Um, yeah, did I mention it's the first movie to use the phrase blowjob? You didn't? Yes, you did. I did, I did. That I was, was a listening. test. You weren't listening. I guess the first similarity between these two films is the hilarious foley for the inordinate amount of slapping that goes on. Yeah, exactly. There's so much slapping. And I will say there should be a whole genre of film that just makes Italians look bad. Yes. And this would be one of them. And also, like, John Travolta, is he Italian? I don't know, but he does a good job of playing an Italian stereotype, that's for sure. He certainly does. I would, it's probably 50-50, but I would bet money he's not Italian. Travolta. Does that sound Italian to you? I think you could say just about any word and, uh, you know, it would sound like uh, Italian, I guess, if you say it like that. So I just looked it up. His father was second generation Italian-American with roots in Sicily. Oh, shit. And his mother was Irish-American, so. And he grew up in New Jersey. And he grew up in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good, good. Well, that's nice. Uh, but yeah, that's a good one to start with. Lots of lots of slapping and a lot so of opening foley. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like uh, archaic, sort of hilarious foley. Like it sounds stupid, just like with that thin wood hitting wood, like the sound. Um, a lot of that. One of the best parts of uh, Saturday Night Fever 
is when his dad's slapping him around at the dinner table and he says, hey, hey, don't punch my hair. He punched my hair. And I yeah, just love yeah. the idea that somebody would punch someone's hair. <laughs> but he but he did. The scene before that, his hair did not look as good as it did at the dinner table. No. He did put a lot of work. His character put a lot of work in yeah. that hair. Uh, but yeah. also in Attack Force, they punch hair. But like, they, they do punch hair. Yeah, they do punch people in the proxy. head. Yeah, and so like hair gets punched technically in both films. So a lot of hair punching in both movies. Yes. You know, so uh, good, good... Good opener, I guess. Yeah. What's uh, uh, hit me with one there, Mike? I mean, I just friggin' did. I just hit oh, you in the oh, hair with one, you oh damn ass God, fool. That's why my hair feels so bad. Um, <laughs> both films have stars that did not age very well. Yeah, that's right. They're kind of past and, their and prime they, now. And they both were super fit and hot when they were younger, and they've just become chubsters. You heard it here first. Steven Seagal was hot. Steven Seagal in 1994. Four was definitely hot. Was he a snack? Yeah. Munch, munch, my man. Munch, <laughs> munch. You could gobble that guy up, you know? He's so good looking. What a tight body he would have had, just like John Travolta had in 77. But yeah, then they, they both were, became kind of uggos. There are there scenes, like famous scenes of Steven Seagal with his shirt off, and he's fucking shredded. Mm. And then there's that scene where John Travolta's only in his underwear. Yeah, that's and, right. And you're, you're just like, dang, that guy looks good. He must have been running two miles a day and dancing three hours a day. Probably, yeah. I love that he's like, I'm not going to go to the gym. I'm just going to dance and run. But I it mean, worked. That's all you got to do, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Both movies do feature kind of actors who are past their prime nowadays. Uh-huh. Uh, and they're also both playing unlikable protagonists. Yes, and they both have black hair. And they both have black hair, that's right, yeah. Because, <laughs> like, John Travolta's character is, like, some people can watch this movie and come away with it hating it. Because mm-hmm. of how the characters act, because they're like the movie. The movie really represents like toxic masculinity. Oh yeah, like, big time. Uh, and it seems like I I felt like it seemed critical of it. it. Seemed like it was a world he was trying to escape. Well, by the end the of the movie, especially suggests that. Yeah, but also, yeah, it felt at times. It's interesting. It felt like a commentary on that, and at other mm-hmm. times, it just felt like it was just overtly misogynistic and that was just like what they were going for with, yeah. without any sort of uh, like higher level of exploration or commentary so it kind of was like 50 50 for me well i guess the question is does a, a movie character have to be like does a movie have to be commenting on a character who's like a terrible like people always talk about likable protagonists but you can also have an unlikable protagonist but does the movie itself have to be critical of that or does it just need to represent the character honestly because i feel like it represented a type of person i would say you know fairly honestly also fairly fairly stereotypically but also yeah yeah like him and his kind of friends probably there that's like definitely a thing in new york guys who just go around and party and just hit on women and are just complete like monsters and use the C word so many times. Use the C word. I wish I use the B word. Yeah, they all the time. I just can't believe. Oh man, some of the dialogue was so off-putting. Yeah, um, like I'm, I'm not defending the character or the movie no. for making that choice. It's more just like, yeah, does it does a movie have to like actually have something really to say, or does it just need to kind of represent that world? Well, I, I, I think maybe commentary is the, the wrong word that I used before. I think there's a way in which you can depict like a character with a certain belief system and you can mm-hmm. depict it honestly, but the film will still have the overall impression of trying to educate you on like why you should or shouldn't behave that way. Yeah. 
without having a character be like, do you see how this is wrong? And this film, like, yes, it was depicting it in a way that was like realistic to that culture in that time. But there were just still moments where I was like, this feels unaware. Like, it's just really just misogynistic for no reason. I just I just feel like it didn't celebrate misogyny. No, it didn't necessarily. But yeah, it didn't necessarily critique it as much as it probably should, given how much it was represented in the film. Yeah. But also for 1977, maybe this is as good as it gets, right? Like, you know, that was a rough time. But also, I haven't seen Carrie in a long time, so I don't remember what happened in that. But also, doesn't Travolta also kind of play like a bit of a dick in that he, movie? He must, I guess, because Carrie's... Yeah, because Carrie is famously bullied in that film. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Unless we forget Greece, tell me more, tell me more. Did you, you know, get very far? Did you get very far? Yeah, like, yeah. This was his trilogy of misogyny. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Thank you. And uh, he was a Scientologist the whole time. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Unrelated, probably. (laughs) Probably, but it's just fascinating that he is one and was one for so long. And he was one of the early ones, you know? Mm -hmm. Because like 19, like the early 70s, I guess mid-70s, Scientology was in its infancy. Yeah, what's his face? L. Ron Hubbard was still alive. He was still alive and like he had had such a long career of writing sci-fi novels to then and then like he was part of a satanic cult for a while and then he like tried to steal it and he had falling out with some guy. But it's just interesting like to be like, hey, there's this religion. It's like eight years old. You should join it. And he's just like, that sounds great. Uh You know, it's just fascinating that he was so gung ho. I feel like it makes more sense now to be like, well, it's been around for a long time. You know, it's easier to join. Yeah. Isn't that why you joined? Yeah, that's why I joined. Yeah, Actually, yeah. I, I did I did own a copy of Dynetics at one point. I own a copy. It's on the shelf behind me. Oh, really? Yeah, because my I, dad I was mean, given it in the 70s, and then he kept it. Oh, I, I mean, I probably have it somewhere. I just don't know where it is right now. Mm. But anyway, you were talking about John Travolta's uh, Scientology, Steven Seagal. His religion is also front and center in his life, too, because he's a Buddhist. So... Right, right. So he he makes no bones about being a, a Buddhist, and he always tries to remind everybody. Yeah, and he's like a sort of a celebrity spokesperson for that religion. Mm-hmm. A lot of the conflict, there's a lot of conflict in both films, but it seems like everyone's on the same side. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so in Saturday Night Fever, that's just kind of true of everyone. Everyone's slapping everyone. Everyone's Italian. Everyone's angry. They're like competing. They're yelling at each other. But they all seem to love each other. They're on the same side. They're always hanging out. To be totally honest, I could not understand who was the villain and who was the good guy in Attack Force. It just kind of seemed like everyone was on the same side. There's that brief period where like the government agents were bad. But then that old white guy came in and then he talked to Marshall and he's just like, you, you do what you got to do, Marshall. And Marshall was like, okay, thanks. And then, and then, you know, it's like, oh, so they're on the same side. And then they bring that one guy who's nervous and all his guys died, but he tried to like betray them. Then it's like, aren't like, why aren't you worried about these like vampire pill popping weirdos? You know what I mean? I was just, it was very like, uh, unclear. Well, but you're describing like the, the American military industrial complex, essentially like, which is the good guy, which is the bad guy. America positions itself as the good guy always. Yes. But, um, I mean, there's a lot of cases to be made that they are, in fact, the baddies. The villain in many, many historical situations. Yeah, so. Yeah. In fact, they even have, like, a famous war, a civil war, if you will, Mm -hmm. 
where they are the baddies to themselves. Wow. Never heard of it. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, everyone's the bad guy to somebody, you know? It's true, yeah. Like the I mean, War of Independence, they were the bad guys. War of 1812, we were the bad guys. Yeah. Or we were the good guys? I don't know. It's but, all I mean, subjective. I think you did a good job of, though, of kind of finding the connection between both films that there's a, yeah, there's just kind of nebulous antagonism kind of coming from inside the house. And it's just ever present. Yeah, but, it's ever but, present. But, like, there are no sides. You're just kind of like, man, everyone's really angry with everyone, but also they're all eating pasta together. Like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Or like all these aliens are, I don't know what they're, they're not aliens, I guess. They're like vampire superpower people, but did they mm-hmm. get those crystal, crystal clear like knives somehow? Well, there's like a duality in Attack Force of like the special ops superhero, whatever the heck you would call them. Like, um, You would yes. call them attack force yeah okay so we'll just call it we'll just call it the attack force though so there's a duality of attack force Uh like theoretically good and terrorist theoretically bad kind of like explored in heat great ass where cop and criminal are one and the same in many ways Mm -hmm. you know like they need each other terrorists need attack force just as attack force needs terrorist yeah ain't that the truth similarly to how a good film like needs a bad film so that they'll end up on this podcast (laughs) <laughs> it's the same it's the same force the cause and effect you know mm-hmm. well i mean both movies uh are like unlikable protagonists heading a team of alpha males yes yes uh and both explore toxic masculinity uh i would say both do like kind of not a great job of exploring toxic masculinity critically just kind yeah. of representing it in uh, different capacities but they're very overt yeah exactly attack force is represented very overtly as this it doesn't question the behavior. It's just like, this is what people do when you're, yeah. a, when you're like a ex CIA special ops, you, you know, it's funny though. Force. You could just tell like those three guys who die at the beginning and they're just like, Hey boss, like we, we're going to go to strip club. And he's like, okay, uh, uh, sure. Uh, go ahead. A titty bar. Oh, a titty bar. Yes. That's yes, what they yes, say. I wrote you. that down because there's also a titty bar scene in, uh, Oh, yeah, that's a good similarity to bring yeah. up. I also wrote that down. I didn't say titty bar. I said strip club. Well, I said that just because it is what they call it in the movie. Their words, right. not mine. Uh, mm-hmm. But also titty obviously is spelled T-I-D-D-I-E. <laughs> I-E-E-E. <laughs> um, anywho, yeah, so both have titty bars. That's good. That's a good thing to note. But anyways, those three guys, they like go to the quote unquote titty bar. But you can just tell in how they behave that they would never actually be military. Like, they're just kind of like schlubs. And it's just yeah. funny that they're, like, supposed to be these high-powered killers. Yeah. And then and then they just die so quickly and unanimously. It's just, it's just funny. Like, that's just, like, lazy casting. They're like, let's not even cast people who are fit. Yeah. You exactly. know what I mean? Like, they're just... Just schlubs, yeah. That's just funny. Well, also, they get together and have a conversation where the entire point of the scene is for them to talk about just how much of a badass, their words, not mine, um, that Steven Seagal is. Yeah. (laughs) And you never see him be a badass, except for, I guess, questionably in the last scene where he just murders a bunch of people. What What about the beginning when he hits that guy with the motorbike and then he gets out and then he kills him? Yeah, I guess so. But that scene is just him sitting in a car. And then it cuts to a bunch of other people shooting and <laughs> actually and doing shooting. stuff. Yeah. It really sets the scene for how little he actually does in this action movie starring yeah. him. 
Yeah. You know, another side note is I find it so interesting when somebody's like a co-writer on the screenplay and then there's just a scene where they're Mac and some hot lady. Mm-hmm. And I'm always just like, God damn it. You're just a weird perv and you're just trying to make out with somebody who wouldn't let you make out with them otherwise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he's just like, let's read a scene in the film where I guess a super hot lady who's like at least 25 years younger. I also wonder how much... Like, I guess I don't know Steven Seagal as much as I like to think I do. I can't imagine mm-hmm. him writing a script. Yeah, like actually sitting down and doing it. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, well, I wanted to ask you when you were doing your info, like, has he had a hand in every script? He's. I'm not sure about that, film? but I know he's directed a couple of films. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know he's written a bunch of his movies. Uh, yeah. This movie was co-written with some other guy named Joe something or other. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... Um, yeah, an interview with that guy seemed like he was not super excited about being a part of the movie. So I I was assuming he was kind of a ghostwriter. <laughs> oh, okay. Even though I got full credit. <laughs> yeah, he he kind of like was really dodging the question about just like what's going to happen with the science fiction plot line about aliens. Oh, right, right. He was just like, well, just see what the studio does. Like, I don't really know what the movie's about, really. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Fuck you. Don't ask me that question. Um. Both films, dare I say, feel very repetitive. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, yeah. They have a very repetitive nature to them. Uh, obviously, Saturday Night Fever is very repetitive, and it sort of, you know, there's just like the whole, even just like dinner scenes. He's in the house, he's at the paint store. It's just like over and over again. He's out with the boys. You know, they go to the tw- 2001 Odyssey mm-hmm. Club. Um, and another thing that feels repetitive is just the amount of times they go to that like dance studio where that weird pervy guy with the receding airline owns it. Yeah. Um, and then in this film, it's comical how many scenes where Steven Seagal and that other guy who uh, is a knockoff Chris Cooper or a knockoff Chris Cooper, mm-hmm. uh, they're just sitting down chatting, but like shit is hitting the fan left, right, and center, and they're just like, I guess we should go for cocktails, sit down. Just talk. <laughs> the amount of lines of dialogue where Steven Seagal is like, no, let's do this other thing. <laughs> just breathing so heavily. <laughs> and you're like, you're not even moving, man. How, why are you breathing? So like, it's so shallow. Um. Anywho. Yeah. Both films are very repetitive and there's just so many scenes in the same location, often with no plot development. I wanted to say both films feel like they don't really have a climax. No, I also agree with that. Yeah. And uh, it's hilariously so in Attack Force, <laughs> but in, uh, yeah, it's more of a character study than anything else in Saturday Night Fever. Well, can I say in Saturday Night Fever, the ending is super abrupt because they make this incredible choice to have uh, Tony Manero, which is the main character. Mm-hmm. Uh, sexually assault his girlfriend or like his dance partner, I guess. Yeah. And then she calls him a rapist in the film. Yeah. Uh, and then the next scene with those two, he like apologizes for it and she forgives him. And then they just have tea by the window. They have tea by the window and there's like a sense that they might get together still. And it's like, what is going on here? Like, totally. Totally. And that's not a resolution, but they just, no. they labeled it one and it's that's how they forced. fucking ended it. And so here, here's the thing, like a normal film, the whole film is being built up to the point that the dance competition is going to be the climax. It isn't. It's a false one. So that's kind of interesting. 
Um, it didn't feel like a cool artistic move. It kind of felt sloppy. But anywho, yeah, just both films don't really have climaxes. There's a line in Attack Force where they say the the sentence, uh, they mistook libido for aggression. Right. So you know the lady who kills the three? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so um, they're interviewing, you know the French guy who owns the club? Oh, yeah. And, and he seems to be the titular bad guy, but that's never clear. He says in the interrogation room, oh, she mistook libido oh, that's right. for aggression, which is not true. But anyways, that's what he says. And that is like a, a, a very good phrase to use to encapsulate Saturday Night Fever. Exactly. That's what I was yeah. getting at. Sorry. I, I just I knew you're going there and I was like, I'll say it instead. Well, both. Yeah. In both movies, I think kind of seem like they send the message that partying ruins people's lives. Mm hmm. So they both kind of seem like an indictment of partying. Yeah, both films on that note. So like there's a lot of partying in both. Both films, all the important stuff happens at night. Yeah, that's right. You know? Um, Yeah, a lot of night shoots. Not a lot of day for night though. Actually, no day for night, which is interesting. It was all night for night. Night for night, day for day. What a boring film. (laughs) Uh, I would say, oh yeah, I would say both movies kind of falsely represent the real world they're trying to represent. Uh-huh. And you you mentioned that that Saturday Night Fever is based on that uh, New York magazine. Article. Yeah, the article represented that world of like disco dancing and all that stuff uh, incorrectly. Yeah, it's a made up story. Similarly, I would say what is represented in Attack Force is not what happens in you know a real special ops situation. Like a bunch of a <laughs> bunch of guys don't just sit around a table talking about how they're going to break into like a little castle or whatever and then go and do it and stab people in the head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And with like no tactical gear on also. He's just kind of wearing like what he, what he was wearing in the last scene. <laughs> also the scene when his girlfriend's like, hey, I made these just for you. And they're like those weird claw things. Yeah. And it's, it's like specifically to combat these weird alien people who mm-hmm. aren't aliens. They're like vampires also sort of. But <laughs> it's like, how would you know that this was going to be a problem? This is like a brand new situation you're facing because of this drug plot that also was poorly executed. But I just love yeah. that scene. And then he like puts it on uh, and he just like doesn't really use them. But they look like Nerf toys. Like they look so fucking stupid. You know, Ugh, that was mm-hmm. a joy. That scene was a joy. Uh, speaking of drugs in um, oh, yeah. in Attack Force, you know, the drug is literally a drug called CTX, which makes people aggressive. Saturday Night Fever, the drug is testosterone i'd say well actually and they also do drugs oh it's, okay the drug is i believe also they do cocaine. A drug. yeah <laughs> i think they do some coke and a couple scenes and maybe smoke some weed yeah okay um, well there you go yeah um but that's a good one nice nice i was gonna say both films ha- uh, have uh well you know an older seagal film would have heavy choreo but both films have like heavy choreo but uh, so, yeah, both films like because really like fight choreography and dance are very similar. Mm-hmm. And both films had to use a lot of that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the CTX drug gave the characters uh, like superhuman abilities uh, fight choreography wise. Uh huh. Same could be said about Travolta's dancing. It's kind of a superhuman ability. He's a real good dancer. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, both, uh, films have their protagonist dating like a young professional. Yes. So, with kind of vague relationships too. Yeah. Like ill, ill-defined, like there's obviously some horniness. I also wrote down everyone wants to fug F-U-G. 
Yes, And yes. I think this kind of ties into the point because everyone does want to fug. There's like a general horniness in this film. Mm-hmm. And it's clear like, you know, John Travolta and Karen Lynn Gorney's characters like are horny for each other, but it's never really defined or explored, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously like Steven Seagal's character and whoever that lady is, I don't have any of that information in front of me, but she's like a young, successful, like military staff member, but can also kick ass. And she's just ma- macking with him the whole time. Yeah. So, and then she dies, and then he just kind of acts like nothing happened. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Speaking of <laughs> speaking of general horniness, that was the name of the uh, like the military officer who is talking to Steven Seagal all the time. The old guy. His name was General Horniness. <laughs> they just didn't say his name, so you didn't know that. You had to just look just it up saying- on IMDb. Yeah, you don't realize it until the credits, and you're like, what? There was a character named General Horniness? Steven Seagal's character's name was Marshall Lawson. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. kind, of, uh, kind of makes you think that uh, yeah. it, wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been so odd to have a character named General Horniness. Yeah. Um, so, but uh, on another note, that's all the ones I have. I mean, I don't really have anything more. I have like two or three more. I just wrote down, lol, the drywall is so thin. Yeah, it was very. That was thin. the last. That was the last note um, for my uh, notes. But you also know what? There was thin drywall probably in um, Saturday Night Fever because he worked in that that uh, store, paint store, paint store. So I mean, there was thin Might drywall somewhere say, in New York, somewhere. So and he lives with his parents, and they're always yelling. And you know what? The drywall might not have been. Thin, but it was too thin considering the circumstances. Yeah, exactly. Because he could always hear his family. He had no privacy. He was always late for dinner, you know. I mean, both films had very clear ADR in parts. Yes. You could tell in certain if you were sometimes when they were outside, they were just did the ADR. Uh, I mean, we've already talked about attack force pretty bad. Um, there was a seemingly random attack on the main gang, which was comical to watch. So in Saturday Night Fever... There is uh, a gang of Puerto Ricans that attack him mm-hmm. and his gang of, I don't know, meatheads. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they go hunt them down to get revenge because they're one guy who's always talking about having a pregnant girlfriend. Um, yes. They go get revenge on his behalf and they just fight in the most comical way. Like the dance scenes were super well shot, really fun to watch. The fight scene was seemed clear that Mr. Bad Ham had never filmed a fight before because it just seemed like a cartoon you know what would be great i wonder if this is what happened the dance choreographer for the film was also the fight choreographer. Oh, that's potentially like, what happened yeah. can you just double dip and he's like i've never done fight and they're like ah it'll be fine yeah. and so it just looks like west side story conflict like exactly, the sharks yeah. and the jets just snapping at each other and you're just yeah. like Ugh, like what the fuck is this you know and, and then uh, they all they all have really like cute bandages on their faces when they visit yeah, they him did, in the yeah. hospital. <laughs> it's just like uh, this looks like it's it is cartoonish. It is cartoonish. Yeah, and then I mean in Attack Force there was obviously just kind of random attacks on the main gang of um, I guess agents, black ops. Mm-hmm. Not really clear what they are. Well, I mean I think we figured this out already, but they're called the Attack Force. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, Mike, they're called Attack Force members attack so, forces well i mean if you think about it attack force they are the attackers they're on the offensive mm-hmm. they basically are the terrorists and the terrorists oh, they definitely attack are force. Yeah, yeah yeah um yeah. very critical of the yeah of america that movie seemed probably not 
I mean, that wasn't the intention, but if that's the byproduct, like, that's kind of cool. Uh, the Mike quote of the century, movies are just showing stuff happening. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Uh, yeah. you're, 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 you're the king of articulation. <laughs> anyway, anyway, we, I think we've come to the conclusion that Attack Force is the same movie as Saturday Night Fever. There is eerie similarities for sure. Like I think, I think the, what's that called? A Venn diagram is actually mm-hmm. just one big circle. Yeah. Or it's like a, oh, oh, here we go. Here we go. Okay. So it's two circles. But no, no, there's no shape. Anyways, it's basically one big circle. Yeah, the person, but, but the person who watches uh, Attack Force would watch Saturday Night Fever and would think that the main characters of both are very likable, cool characters. Super sympathetic characters. Yeah. Yeah, yeah even though that's not necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to talk about the uh, end fight scene in Attack Force. Yes. Um. Just the way that it was edited, did you do notice like between every shot they just cut to like a very quick white flash? Yeah, yeah. I I they actually did that in a few scenes. Yeah, in a couple of scenes. Yeah. And I think that was just to cover up uh the lack of mobility Steven Seagal has. Yeah, that's what it seemed like. Yeah. But it also kind of disoriented the audience a little bit, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I found that for the most part it was pretty poorly edited where you had no sense of like the space. And you had no yeah. sense of directions, mm-hmm. like characters would just switch axis constantly. Yeah. And uh, they would be tossed left and they would fly right in the next scene or come through a wall. And it was just like, but then all throughout all of this, there was like flashing of white light. The The axis was broken more times in this film than ever before. Mm-hmm. It was legendary for sure. It was so disorienting. And maybe that was on purpose. I don't know. I think but, it was uh, just one of those things where they thought it was like cool to do mm-hmm. this but it just ended up backfiring yeah. yeah yeah anyway i don't know i just wanted to talk about that i thought that no that I'm, was... I'm glad you brought that up because i'm i'm also glad you noticed it um <laughs> i think it was hard to notice to not notice <laughs> it's hard to ignore yeah just yeah yeah. the That's white good flashing point. that was like strobing yes. while action was happening just to be like hey this is action mm-hmm yeah, it, w- it really slapped you across the face. Maybe the next, the last similarity is both films used a lot of flashing lights. A lot of flashing lights. That's good. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Just really to tie a nice bow on this whole thing. Nice. Good, good. If only, you know, it would have made this so much easier as if Steven Seagal was also a Scientologist. But he, he seems like a, he seems like on paper when you're w- reading his Wikipedia entry is like, oh, this is a cool guy. And then it just gets worse and worse and worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I lived in Los LA. Angeles and yeah. lived across from the um, Scientology Center. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was like a big compound, gigantic, very unsettling. It seemed like almost cartoonish in like how a movie would represent kind of like a bad guy's compound. This is what this place looked like, but it was like yeah. right in the center across from a hospital. Mm-hmm. And um, so one day I was by myself uh, and I had nothing to do. I didn't have a job when I was down there. So I went to the Scientology Center. I was like, I'm going to see what's up. I'm going to go in. So I went inside. Just a huge building on the inside. Big, really high ceilings. Dianetics books everywhere. And then you, and I was like, I'll buy a copy of Dianetics. Why not? I got to see what's up with this. So I bought it. It's very thick. It it's is, huge. Yeah. A huge book. 
Uh, and then I went to buy it, and then they were like, oh, you got to come with me. So they took me down this long hallway, oh, and I just go God. down these like series of weird hallways. <laughs> uh, and then I go into this one room, very small little room, and then somebody makes you buy it in this like room, this person who's behind like a glass with some bars and stuff. So just the whole thing is like kind of unsettling and weird. You'd think yeah. there would just be like a counter at the front because well, there was yeah, counters at the front, but they make you go and go into the building to buy it. But that's like classic cult shit. Oh like yeah, they, of course. You know, like, did you have any conversations while you went there or did they just like not bug you? Uh, they just kind of asked me why I was interested in buying this book. And I was just mm-hmm. like, oh, I just kind of heard that it was like interesting. I kind of just moved to the city. I just wanted to read Dynex mm-hmm. and see what was up. So they were just like, great, great. This is really exciting. Somehow, mm-hmm. I don't know how, I don't remember giving them my email address, but I got on an email list. Oh, good I must have you. given them my email address at some point. So, but yeah. yeah, so I was just getting daily emails from them asking me about Dianetics and then, or it was mailing list emails. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it wasn't like personal ones, but occasionally I'd get a personalized one. Oh. And they'd be like, so how is, they'd ask me how Dianex is going. How's my reading of the book? Interesting. So I would just be like, oh, you know, it's, I kind of haven't really read it, kind of haven't really read it kind of thing. Is this recently that they send you emails? No, 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 no. That, this oh. was like while I was down there. Oh, like I shortly see. Shortly after I bought it. So they'd send you personal emails asking you how the book was. Yeah. Uh, and I never really got, got more than past like the first chapter, I think. Mm-hmm. So I had to lie always. That's fucking, that's fine. But apparently, uh, like a week or two after I left the city and like came back to Canada, somebody ran into that Scientology center with a samurai sword and was shot dead. Whoa. Oh my yeah. God. So that's hardcore. Kind of like a Steven Seagal connection there, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Was it Steven's? I guess no. Shot no, I dead. don't think. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of wild. Cause like I could have been there when that happened, but I, yeah. I wasn't. Oh, also on my birthday, we went to the Scientology museum. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I had like one of the best birthdays slash worst that day. <laughs> because uh, my friend treated me to just like do whatever I wanted in LA, which was like pretty sweet. So we mm-hmm. went to the griddle cafe where they, you get these pancakes that are like the size of a dinner plate. They give you three of them and they're thick and they all are made out of like whatever you want. So I got Oreo pancakes. So you get these three oh, yeah. pancakes that are just, just dinner plate sized, stacked three high, just more food that you can eat in three meals. Cause you have to like, you always have to get it packed up and take it home. And it takes you like two or three days to finish it. Mm-hmm. Then we went to the Scientology Museum mm-hmm. and it was like hilariously low budget considering how much money is in Scientology. Like oh, you weird. go in and it just seems like a, like a, what you see in movies when they represent like bad theme park or bad museum. Just everything's really corny. Uh, yeah, there's just like stacks of all the books. It's, ba- it's basically just like a, a very, very small museum where they go and you walk around and you just learn about L. Ron Harbord. You don't really learn about Scientology. Right. It's just him. They just tell you about his life. All of the books he he wrote, they show you like a stack of the books that he wrote. Mm-hmm. Oh, it talks about how he, how he could fly a plane. He's oh, like okay. a pilot. He doesn't seem very self-aware that he's a science fiction writer. And he's like, look at all the science fiction he wrote. And then he wrote Dianetics, the book that's our religion. And it's like basically science fiction. <laughs> well, I mean, that's y- not a new thought, but. No, but it's just hilarious that that just is irrelevant to so many people. Oh, I know. It's so you funny. know what I mean? It's just kind of like, what the fuck? Yeah. yeah. That's always the thing that's gotten me. 
Uh, but the best moment was at the very end of the little tour where this lady is walking you around and then she's just like, and thank you for coming to the L. Ron Hubbard Museum. And then she pulls this like little um, curtain like string and then these, these this like curtain separates and there's like triumphant music that plays like. And then there's like oh, a, a terrible painting of L. Ron Hubbard. Oh, cool. That's yeah. fun. And then you just leave and it was free. So it was pretty sweet. Cool. It's sweet that, uh, not sweet, it's just fascinating how one person can have such a profound impact on, like, a small number of people yeah. to the extent of, like, having devotion like that. Mm-hmm. Just fascinating. Yeah. Uh, other things I did on that birthday, we went to Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. Legendary. I've heard Legendary. Of it. So good. Mm-hmm. I love that place. I'm a yeah. vegetarian now. One of my saddest things is I can never go back to Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles and enjoy, like, the full meal, but that place is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we went to the top of like the Hollywood Hills where the Manson murders happened. Oh, yeah, yeah. We wanted to go check out that. And that's just like some other place because the Manson house has been torn down. But we got to see what that neighborhood looked like at least. Cool. And then uh, I later that night, because of all the terrible food that I ate, I got the just the worst like case of gurgle guts. <laughs> oh, gurgle guts. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> we were driving around just trying to, and I was just like, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to, I'm going to explode. My butt's going to explode. Don't tickle me. It'll come out. Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And then we went to like a uh, El Pollo Loco, which is a um, kind of a fast food Mexican uh, restaurant. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't let me use their washroom unless I bought something. And I well, was like, they, I am they, not buying something. I have to use your washroom really bad. And they were just like, sorry, that's just the policy. So we had to, I had to get back in the car. My butt's a bursting mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. um, terrible and, uh, feeling. just try and find another, another fast food place or somewhere I could use the toilet. And, uh, I don't remember what happened, but I'm pretty sure I didn't crap my pants. Nice. I mean, if you had, you would have remembered. Yeah, I would have remembered. You yeah. know, you always remember. I feel like. Shitting your pants are flashbulb moments in your mm-hmm. life. Like those are truly unforgettable. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, <laughs> flashbulb moments. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think the other things I did on that birthday—not really Scientology related—but mm-hmm. I just remember it being a great birthday. We we went and saw Channel One Hundred and One. Do you know what that is? No, what is that? So Dan Harmon from Community used to run this thing in LA where they would basically let people would make five-minute episodes of like a TV show. Mm-hmm. And then they would screen them live and then people would vote on their favorite ones. And then they would, uh, the ones that got voted for would get to make a second episode the next month. Oh, cool. So they have these long running TV shows, some of which kind of live on the internet. House of Cosby. I don't know if you've seen that. Justin Roiland made that one. Justin Roiland no. also was really involved from Rick and Morty. Mm-hmm. So yeah, House of Cosby was one of them. And uh, two, two Girls, One Cup, the show, which is just like a sitcom, <laughs> but about a cup that lives with two girls. <laughs> and he always wants them to crap in him. <laughs> Everybody check it out. It's on YouTube. Justin Roiland from Rick and Morty made it. Uh, that's pretty uh, funny. Another, the best one that I remember from that was a book called Boner for Boner, where a guy uh, could only get a boner if he was looking at a picture of his own boner. <laughs> and then the whole, the whole plot was that his like best friend slash enemy stole his boner picture as like revenge for something. And then the whole story is him just trying to get his picture of his boner back. Oh my God. That's funny. It's so oh, good. What a yeah. good concept. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, and then I, I think for, that. I think for dinner on that birthday, we went to Can- Cantor's Deli, I think it's called like the famous place where they all, where like comedians all go for uh smoked meat. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it's called. Anyway, pretty good birthday. I'd say. 
I just need to ask. So you you poo pooed the one time in a public toilet, and then were you fine the rest of the night, or were there? Yeah, I was fine, and then I went back to eating trash. <laughs> and then you poo pooed the rest of the night. Probably, yeah. No, it was just like if you can imagine the worst case of gurgle guts you've ever had. That was like, yeah, it was. It was like I have never felt such pressure. You know what I mean? Oh man, I've I've been there. Yeah, been it's there. Uh, very unpleasant. Shit, that was a good episode. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, we covered a lot of ground. We cut. We 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 covered poo poo. We covered Scientology. We we covered Steven Seagal in his non prime. We covered John Travolta, arguably in his prime. Arguably in his prime, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. I mean, shit, dog. This was a good one. It was a good one, even if Attack Force regrettable was, choice was truly we. Yeah, I mean, I think we can just be honest and say we picked the wrong movie. It should have been Sniper Special Guy, Ops. Special Ops. Yeah. Yeah, just, well, yeah. Just a, a movie with a title that generic just seems like it's like almost like something you should ignore. Mm-hmm. Whereas Attack Force is a generic title, but a hilariously generic title, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah exactly. Like Attack but, Force is just like so stupid. It's like, this has got to be a good one. And then, yeah. you, and then you look it up on Reddit and people are like, this is the bad Steven Seagal movie to watch. And it wasn't the worst one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was bad, but it was, I mean, yeah, we were talking about how there's hype. You know, there's bad movie hype. For like, like, yeah, can, negative films. Yeah, you can get excited for a bad film. And I think we kind of bought into the hype for Attack Force and we were burned. Definitely. We were, we were burned so bad we both got gurgle butt. <laughs> <laughs> we currently both have gurgle butt right now. Yeah. I mean, watching that film definitely gave me gurgle butt. It gives you spiritual gurgle butt. It really does. And you just want to cleanse yourself in a taco place and they won't let you unless you buy some tacos. Yeah. <sighs> oh, well. Well, I mean, there's not much more to say. I think we really left it out on the table tonight. Uh, yeah. Any closing remarks? I uh, didn't really enjoy either film this week. That's just okay, a matter of go. fact. Yeah, yeah. How about you? I, I liked Saturday Night Fever, and I did not care for Attack Force, but... But they're one and the same, so, I mean, check them out, folks. <laughs> if you want to watch two identical films, this, yeah. they're, they're, they're the ones to watch. I mean, it is strange for us to, to, to posit that these movies are the same movie, uh, uh, and then tell people to watch both of them. <laughs> yeah. Just like, hey, here's a series, some redundancy for your life. Well, no, no, it's it's like it's like getting two McDoubles at McDonald's. It's like there's nothing redundant about it. You're just gonna enjoy them both. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. I guess you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had a McDouble. I don't know if that's a true statement. Oh or not. man, dude, I always get two, at least two, sometimes four. Well, that's not even a McDouble. That's a McFour. Yeah, the McQuadruple, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it's not like I'm eating them at once. It's two McDoubles. Yeah, so that's a that's just a single McQuadruple. Well, no, that's like saying you have gurgle butt and you take one big poo-poo and then you take another big poo-poo an hour later because you're eating more smoked meat. And then everyone's like, that's actually just one giant shit. No, it's not. <laughs> it's two. <laughs> that's just, come on, fractions, Mike, fractions. Okay, just because this isn't uh, a visual medium, Bob is like, his face is red and he's all sweaty from like how intense he's speaking right now about. Yeah, I'm breathing as shallowly as Steven Seagal is in Attack Force. And also, Bob <laughs> is similarly like half lit to kind of conceal <laughs> just how much of a just piece of garbage he is right now. Yeah, how how uh, unflattering I look now in all light, <laughs> except the absence of light. 
<laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Uh, yeah. Anywho, I, I feel good about this one. Yeah, that's good. Good that you feel good. Yeah, I feel great. I don't know how you feel. Uh, let's sign off and let these people go on with their merry day. Sure, sure. Yeah. Stay tuned for next episode of From Justin to Kane. Uh, I've been Mike. This is Bob, as always. Yep. And uh, yeah. See you, everyone. Bye. <laughs>